You're listening to the best of Morning Drive with Dietrich and White, an on-demand audio presentation of redpeachsports.com and ESPN977.com. Now here's today's show. Good morning, North Louisiana. What up? How goes it? Aaron here in the Caldwell Anchor Group One Realty Studio in beautiful West Monroe, alongside from the Washita Citizen, Jake Martin, on one of Jake's favorite days of the year. Happy draft day, y'all. <laughs> I'm pretty excited. <laughs> I can tell in your voice. Yeah, I I love this day. Yes. This is this is gonna be very entertaining. Um, and again, perfect storm because we still don't know. And we thought Hugh Jackson didn't yeah. know. Now how how horrible would that be? <laughs> that was a story yesterday that Hugh Jackson was not told that the Browns were going to take number one overall. Hmm. That John Dorsey was just withholding that information. Maybe he didn't want to leak. Didn't want to leak, or maybe he just doesn't value the opinion of his head coach. Ooh, ouch. Because remember, when he came on, Hugh Jackson was already there. Huh. Or perhaps it's just being Cleveland being Cleveland. Uh, maybe that too. But uh, NBC Sports Pro Football Talk, they had a story uh, late last night saying that Hugh Jackson does indeed know. Hmm. So, Plenty to discuss over the next two hours. Of course, we want to hear your uh, comments. And, of course, uh, if you have a question or two about the NFL draft, you can hit us up on the Stuart Shelby text slash hotline, 888-993-7762. Go to stuartshelby.com for a free quote. It is draft day, and it's been the way. The last couple of years where uh, Saints punter Thomas Morstead joins us at the beginning of the show. He will join us here within minutes as uh, we talk about his past and, of course, perhaps what the Saints plan to do with their 27th overall pick and uh, the story following last year's disappointing loss to the Minnesota Vikings. A lot of different storylines going into this draft, and I guess you have to start, Jake, at, at the top of the draft. And you mentioned Cleveland and the, the dilemma that they are in, a very good dilemma, though, with the first and fourth overall pick. And uh, you would have to say it's been a few years where we've had this kind of anticipation or not knowing what is going to take place with that top overall pick. A very long time. And actually, you know, <laughs> there's a push right now that Baker Mayfield's going number one overall. Like, I'm seeing that more and more, and especially this morning I was looking around, and I, I see two names. I see Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. And, you know, you think back to what, maybe just last week, a week ago, it was a lot of people were, were going with Josh Allen in that spot. So I, I, I think it's coming down to, to Darnold or, or Mayfield, and that's exciting. And then you've got the Giants right behind them who could go Chubb, Barkley, or quarterback. Mm. We certainly look forward to a, a big draft night. Now join us on the Stuart Shelby Hotline, and he's been joining us now for a couple of years, Saints punter Thomas Morrissey. Thomas, how are you doing this morning, bud? Great. Good morning, guys. Hey, Thomas, uh, this is kind of we, – we've been doing this for a few years now, and you've been making an annual trip up to northeast Louisiana for quite some time. I hope it's all right with you, but we've pretty much adopted you in these parts as being one of our favorite players. Well, I appreciate it. I'm glad to be back. Um, it's kind of funny how it always happens on draft weekend. Yeah. So lots of excitement going on for Saints fans. Uh, was it literally nine years ago yesterday that you were drafted by the Saints? Well, I think it's actually, uh, what's today? Is today the 26th? Yes. Today, Today's the day. So oh. nine, nine years today. What did that mean nine years ago, and what was your draft day experience like? Well, um, just had some family and a few close friends uh, at my uh, house that I was living at in Dallas at the time, and um, you know I did invite a whole bunch of people because you know honestly didn't know if I'd get drafted, and um, yeah we just kind of hung out all day and just hoped and and waited and I got a a phone call from a 504 area code, which I had no idea where that was from. And uh, and it was uh, Mickey Loomis, our general manager. And uh, he just, he I remember him asking me if uh, if I wanted to punt in a dome for the rest of my career. And I and I said, that sounded fun to me. <laughs> and uh, and then he put me on with Coach Payton. And uh, once he said Sean Payton, I knew that was the Saints. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. So, um 
you know, it's a, it's a unique thing. You can win multiple Super Bowls, you can go to multiple Pro Bowls, but you only get drafted once, and uh, it was definitely a uh, memory I'll never forget. <laughs> and uh, congratulations, of course, recently signing an extension with the Saints. What did that mean then, of course, when they came to you this off season and said, yes, we'd like you to stick around a little bit longer? Well, it's great. Look, I mean, um, the, the whole relationship's been great the whole time. Um, you know, I, I hear stories all the time about, you know, players having to, you know, treat this as a business. And, yeah, it is a business, but um, I don't know. The team has always been so good to me, and, and I've always tried to provide value regardless of what I was getting paid. And, um, you know, it's just been good all the way around. And uh, we're just very grateful to be sticking around for longer. Uh, we've told the story numerous times. Of course, uh, you were kind of a, a late bloomer, a walk-on there at SMU. And uh, yesterday you uh, were talking to kids out at Lee Junior High. I didn't realize, though, that you had tried out once with uh, SMU and it didn't work out, and then you went back the second year. What was that year like as you continued to work and kind of continued to chase your dreams? Yeah, look, when I say I didn't make it, I mean, I was I was allowed on the team. It's not like I ever got kicked off the team. It was more of a, you know, they, they invite 105 guys to training camp every year or to two-a-days. And, um, you know, typically 85 guys are on scholarship, and there's another 20 preferred walk-ons. And I was not invited back to the team. So I kind of had to show up day one of school and try out again. And, you know, just uh, – it was disappointing, but, um, you know, felt like I had a pretty good awareness about where I was at relative to the other guys, and it just felt like a matter of time. And obviously, um, I just had tremendous encouragement and support from my parents growing up, and uh, through that process was no different. They were very uh, encouraging and, and supportive and, and, you know, really felt like I was going to get an opportunity if I stuck it out. And so, and so that was uh, big for me. Can you remember the moment, perhaps in your college career, where you realized you could compete at that level and perhaps take your game to a whole other level and make it into the NFL? Yeah, look, I, I think after my third year at college, which my first year playing, uh, I just remember kind of thinking to myself at the end of our season that that I felt like I was the best punter, uh, or I was a better punter than any of the other guys we faced that year. And so, um, you know, I figured, okay, you know, there's we've played against 12 other teams, and, and I thought I was the best of those guys, so I knew I was pretty good. But uh, really the whole time I was um, uneducated and really didn't understand, you know, what was going to take to, you know, where I, I guess where I really stood nationally. Uh, it took me going to some camps and competing against some guys that, you know, were all Americans to, to – feel like okay I definitely not only belong but I think I'm you know I think I can excel amongst all these guys and and so um you know but that didn't happen later on until about you know going into my, going into my senior year of college so Saints punter Thomas Morstead joins us on the Stuart Shelby hotline as you can tell Thomas stays very busy with his uh, three kids Thomas you do a lot of things for a lot of different charity work and that's one of the reasons why you're back in northeast Louisiana this weekend for the St. Francis Foundation, also uh, your foundation. A lot of professional athletes, you know, talk about doing charity work, but you certainly put uh, put it out there that you are out there and doing it. Why is that so important to you? Well, um, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of answers to that. Number one, um, you know, it's nice to do things for other people when you have the ability to do them, uh, regardless of what you're doing. And then, mm-hmm. I think as as a representative of the team and the city and state, um, it's kind of an obligation. You know, uh, the reason I'm getting paid what I'm getting paid is because of the tremendous support of our fans, and I'm getting to do a job that I love doing, and I really feel like it's an obligation to try and make a little bit of a positive impact, um, you know, with the people that support us so much. And so I just, you know, I feel like that's a responsibility of ours. Uh, Saints fans, of course, have loved you for a long time, and then the rest of the country got to learn more about you this past uh, season. The heartbreaking loss to Minnesota and the scenario that played out, of course, uh, and, you know, 
the Vikings uh, were brought back on the field. They go into your locker room and ask uh, some players to come back on and, and be on the defensive side of the ball. You were battling through in a rib injury. Walk us through that scenario and how you ended back up onto that field in the playoffs uh, last year against the Vikings. Well, um, you know, I hung out on the football field as long as possible after the game uh, because I knew that we were supposed to have to do the extra point even if it didn't matter. And then at some point I realized there were no other players out there, so I went into the uh, locker room. And as soon as I got into the locker room, the referees were just walking out, and I guess they just asked for 11 guys to get back out on the field. And, you know, um, obviously I wouldn't traditionally be out there for that type of play, but, um, you know, over 50% of the guys all had their pads and jerseys off already, and, uh, you know, they just needed 11 guys to go stand out there. And, you know, I was dressed out and ready to roll, so I just ran out there and um, didn't think much of it, honestly, um, until it, you know, became a big deal after afterwards. I was just, um, you know, they, they just needed 11 bodies, and so I, I went out there, and that was it. Uh, how much did it humble you or blow you away than the outpouring of love that you saw from around the National Football League, and especially Minnesota fans uh, contributing, what, uh, 200 and $2,100,000 to your foundation? Yeah, look, it was uh, it was tremendous what happened. It definitely kind of helped me cope with the loss and the way we lost the game. Uh, gave me something to focus on that was positive. Um, but, you know, it's just a tough, it was a tough deal. You know, it was a tough deal when you lose like that. And, um, but, it, you know, it's something that will motivate the group. And, you know, we're just excited about the, uh, you know, about the season that's upcoming here. Thomas, a couple final questions. In that locker room, and, of course, a teammate that had a sensational rookie campaign, Marcus Williams, and he makes the big blunder in the most important game of the year. How do you as a teammate handle that situation with him? And then on the flip side, how do you think he handled it with the media? I thought he was fantastic. Um, you know, it, it's really tough in this day and age to find people that will, um, you know, take accountability and, and take the bullets, um, so to speak, from the media after things go poorly. And that, that kid just got dressed after the game and, had all the media invited him over to his locker and answered every question. And he was a true professional. And, um, you know, I, I just think that's a rare quality. And uh, I was just really proud of him. And I know everybody on our team loves him and um, and also knows that he's a huge part of why we did well last year. That whole rookie class was amazing. And um, I'm sure he's going to be the reason that we go far in the future. Thomas, you look at this year's draft, and you have to feel like perhaps you're just a, a few pieces or literally a play or two away from making the Super Bowl. Uh, will you be watching tonight when the Saints perhaps have the 27th overall pick? Absolutely, I will. I can't wait for it. I love watching the draft. It's uh, it's always exciting, not only for our team, but for all the teams. And uh, it's a dream come true for a lot of players. But, um, you know, I think we've got a great organization and we're really on an upswing right now as a team. And so hopefully the team will uh, get a little good fortune, get a little luck, and uh, hopefully we'll get the right type of people, right type of personalities in the locker room that we need to win. And, uh, and so, you know, super excited about it. Thomas, we appreciate what you're doing for the St. Francis Foundation. Of course, uh, your charity, your foundation. Uh, keep making these annual trips to Northeast Louisiana. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, yes, sir. I definitely will. Thanks for having me on, guys. You bet. Thomas Morstead, is, uh, he gets ready to tee it up here in the next uh, hour or so out at Bayou this year. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, Did you think that was Ric Flair in the background at the beginning of the interview? <laughs> a, a little, a younger Ooh. Ric Flair? <laughs> um, I was just thinking, I bet it's fun to watch the draft as a punter. You know, because in most positions, you're watching it going, I better not, you know, draft my position. And, uh, you know, like, like Case Keenum watching and Denver selects a quarterback or something yeah. like that. But, uh, yeah, man, I, that was good stuff from him. Uh, Ty says, uh, when Thomas broke his rib, he said the funniest thing, it only hurts when I punch. <laughs> 
It really is a remarkable story, though, and, I, you know, we've had an opportunity now for literally five or six years to do this as he goes to different schools across the Monroe area, and he talks to the kids, and he tells his story just, you know, literally, he's a late, late bloomer, was a soccer player, and then, of course, sprouts up to being, what, six foot four, two 220, 230 pounds, and then, of course, making his way onto that roster in SMU and then eventually getting drafted by the Saints. Pretty cool, and obviously involved in one of the greatest plays in Super Bowl history, the uh, onside kick, the ambush. Absolutely, yes. Richie also weighs in. He says, the Browns passing on Darnold would be a typical Cleveland move. God forbid you take a consensus number one overall pick and then watch him win numerous titles with the Giants. Mm. Then he says, which would be best for him, I guess. Cleveland is a quarterback killer anyway. Mm. It is top ten Thursday, so uh, later in the show, what are we doing, Jake? We're doing a mock draft. I loved it. I enjoyed doing it. Aaron did not so much. I just found it all tedious, and then it was like, okay. And then I was like, I mean, and then watch. There's going to be at least how many trades that take place, and we'll throw everything out of whack. So basically, I'm already making excuses, kind of like McShay and Kuiper will do later. Well, I thought this would make you appreciate them a little bit more. It does make me appreciate the research and the study that they have to do. But, I'm looking forward to it. Right. I, I went out there on a couple of different things. I, I wanted you did. I wanted to be different, but also um, sort of try to keep it realistic. The most disappointing thing for me was I could not find Kuiper and McShay's top ten because you have to be part of that ESPN insider. You have to pay for yeah, that. Yeah, I got to pay for that. Yes. No. But I'm sure uh, we'll get it tonight. We'll jot it down, their predictions beforehand. And then we'll go back tomorrow and we'll compare who did better. And if we do better, we'll add draft experts to our Twitter bio. Uh, we are off and running on the morning drive. We typically go through headlines in the first segment. We'll get into that after the break. I understand LeBron had a pretty good night. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah, uh, but we have to discuss the block. We, we need to discuss whether or not that was a goal tune. And, of course, the softball state championships get underway later today down in Sulphur. Got a lot of different headlines. It's all part of the starting lineup brought to you by Louisiana Pancake. The starting lineup. Are you crying? The starting lineup. Are you crying? Starting lineup. Are you crying? The starting lineup. There's no crying. Let's get to the starting lineup. All right, top ten Thursday. Jake has been studying. I have not. We will give us give you our top ten coming up later in the show. Also, I thought it would be fun with uh, so much intrigue in this draft. And you know there are going to be a number of busts. We'd love to hear from you on your top bus of all time. Oh, that, see, that should be a whole top ten Thursday on its own. 888-993-7762. The voice of the LSU Tigers, Chris Blair, will join us at 8 o'clock. LSU has an important series this weekend versus Ole Miss. In fact, it starts tonight. Starts tonight against the number five team, and if you look at it on paper, it is a mismatch. But games aren't played on paper. Eight 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 nine nine three seven seven six two. The morning drive is back. Welcome back to the show. All right, a little odd uh, with headlines in the second segment, but it's not often that we get a, a pro bowler on the show very often, so we change it up a little bit. Headlines, Jake. Where would you like to start on this draft day? Let's start with LeBron. <laughs> you set me up with the draft day. Uh, but I, I think we need to start with LeBron because that was, first of all, a thrilling ending to the game. Yeah. Uh, you said LeBron is basically the only player on the team and he's got to do it all, right? Yes, and he's, he's definitely doing that. Did he do it all in the final four seconds of that game? Yes. Um, and, you know, honestly, some of it was a little much. What I mean by that was, all right, if you watch the play, and I haven't seen the the greatest view yet. You know, after the game, I kept wanting to see. You're talking about the game winner or the block? I'm talking about the block. I kept wanting to see. In case you did not have not seen it yet, Cleveland wins last night 98-95 over Indiana. Yes, but and LeBron hit the game-winning triple. But before that, it was like down to five seconds. Oladipo has the ball in his hands. He gets a step on LeBron. Goes to the hoop, and LeBron blocks it. Now, it looks like the ball touches the backboard before LeBron ever gets a hand on it. And they asked Oladipo about it, and he said that he felt um, he felt LeBron grabbed him, 
And then he said it definitely hit the backboard, and he straight up called it a goaltend. Um, and I haven't – again, I haven't seen the best angle of it, like to definitively say that. But I will say the angles I saw, I did think it was a goaltend. Anyway, LeBron gets away with it. It's still tied at 95. It's like three seconds left. You know, J.R. Smith gets rebound, calls timeout. They throw it to LeBron. You want to hear the call? Give us the call. This is what it sounded like last night. Three seconds left. Cleveland triggers in. James, two seconds, one second for the win. Taking over, LeBron, been inside the paint all night long, three seconds to go, the pull-up, the three, and the celebration on in here in Cleveland as they take the 3-2 lead. And honestly, you know, I thought that was huge because the winner of this game, I, th I felt was going to win the series. And especially when you look at it, the Cavs were up by double digits in that fourth quarter. And that lead evaporated. And the way, you know, I saw Oladipo with the ball in his hands with the game tied at 95, and the way he got past LeBron, I was immediately thinking, wow, this series is over. Mm. Like, LeBron's seriously going to go down, and then to make that block, to hit that shot, just kind of adds to his legacy. Mm. Uh, they now lead that series three games to two. There was a number of other games in the NBA postseason also last night, Jake. Yeah, there were several games. The Thunder overcame a deficit as well. They had superhuman efforts from Russell Westbrook and Paul George. <laughs> you, nobody else on the Thunder scored over double digits, but Westbrook had 45. Paul George had 34. Westbrook had like 39 shots, by the way. He was like 17 or 39, something like that. But uh, they came back to win that game, so they're not done just yet. Houston closed out, and Toronto went up 3-2. Mm. There's your NBA uh, recap, and as we always do, we have uh, inherited or – we were on board with the Astros. What's the Astros update from last night? How'd they fare? Comprehensive coverage coming from Jake Martin. Yeah, I, I, I just saw they lost. I didn't actually. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to look it up. Uh, but I, I had a, I set updates on my phone. So I got an update, oh. a notification yesterday. Saw they lost. And I didn't look too deeper. <laughs> That's so, the kind of coverage that you can count you on. You can only the get here on the morning drive. It, it is thorough. I mean, if you want Astros coverage, come to us. Well, you are fully vested in this. Well, you? I thought we were going to kind of do this as a joke, <laughs> and then you took it seriously, so I'm just all out of whack. All right. <laughs> Other headlines on this uh, Thursday. Uh, the greatest pitcher of the year. Astros won 5-2 to two against the Okay, Eagles. well, they won, so uh, f fake news. They won yesterday. Okay, sorry. Uh, the greatest pitcher of the year surfaced. Uh, I don't know if it was late last night or early this morning, but Baker Mayfield uh -huh. imitating Brett Favre on the phone in the jorts. Come on. Yeah, that's pretty good. That was great. That, that made me love Baker Mayfield even more. Huh. Uh, to get ready for this NFL draft in my thorough research that I did, he released something on Facebook or his YouTube behind the scenes with Baker May Mayfield. It was not Tom versus time. It was not uh, that well done, but showed him, of course, the pro day behind the scenes with him and then helping out kids. He almost came across as likable. <laughs> almost. Okay. The other story with the NFL draft, and we'll get into it, should this be a, a storyline at all? Uh, Josh Allen, of course, uh, now happened to come out on the day of the draft when uh, a story was released yesterday showing or revealing some of the tweets that he made on his Twitter account back when he was in high school. I have a question about this. Who sits there and goes through these guys' Twitter mm. and just looks up, tries to find dirt on all of these players? Like, who does that, first of all? Secondly, uh, I've already kind of talked about this before with um, the girls. I forgot, was it Virginia Tech, lacrosse, something like that, where they were rapping and they mm -hmm. said the N-word. Mm -hmm. And it was a big story. Hey, oh, and uh, Da Vinci. Uh, <laughs> I've messed up his name again. The guy from uh, Villanova. Uh, and how they, they revealed some of his tweets from the past. 
I'll repeat what I said back then, the fact that, you know, the kid was in high school, and I just have to know more about it. I can't look at just the tweets and know that he's in high school and make a judgment on it because when I was in high school, I went to Vidalia High School. It was a public school. I grew up with black kids. Like, they were – black culture was very much a part of my life, and so we – we could jokingly say that, and then it, it took me going to college to learn that you, you just – even if you're, you're you're talking to your friend and you're, you're, you're being playful about it, you, you shouldn't say that. And it took me going to college to learn that, and then I stopped saying that word. Even though I never meant it in a harmful way, I found out, you know, that, you know, people outside a little all small Vidalia, you know, it, it's it's – it's different. You just can't use that word. And so it took me growing up to learn that. And I had Twitter. And I think it, Twitter first started when I was a freshman in college. And I'm, I probably had a tweet or two where I said it like, quoting a rap verse or something like that. And then you learn. You're like, oh, okay, I, I can't be putting that stuff out there. That's not, you know, once you leave your small little bubble. So I so you're just saying, say thankfully, the Washita citizen did not go back through your tweets. Yeah, when you were a kid. yeah, because you probably could have found something like that for me, right. and and I'm just and I'm so far from racist. Like I think it's because I grew up with black kids that I, I felt like I could say that because I was friends with them, and then you know when you leave home and you kind of explore the big world, you learn yeah you just shouldn't say that. So I say that to say just because you see this, it doesn't make this guy a racist. Now, is he a racist? I don't know. He could be. Um, but I'm just saying we can't just take a tweet and go and label somebody. On this draft day, we continue to ask uh, who's the biggest bust in NFL history. Got a number of texts here. One, of course, saying Jamarcus Russell was the biggest bust. Others weighing in saying Ryan Leaf. Uh, Daryl says, go Summerfield Girls softball. How do you think K.J. Malone will do in the draft? Uh, he's getting a lot of different looks just because of his versatility. Of course, the former Cedar Creek product, the son of Carl Malone, six foot four, what three hundred pounds. Uh, see NFL.com lists his grade as basically an NFL backup or special teams potential. I want to get back to the Ryan Lee to Marcus Russell conversation. Which way do you lean? Who was the bigger bust of the two? Uh, I almost think it's Leaf, but the reason why Leaf is just because. Then you have to put him up head to head against Peyton Manning, and then you're going, you know, comparisons that draft well, against one of the greatest of all time. And that was the whole conversation going in. Who's better? Who do you take? If, right, right, right. But if they would have taken Leaf over Manning, yeah. then it's a no-brainer. It's mm-hmm. Leaf. But because he goes behind Manning, I think I might go Russell. I, I want you to drag up their career stats, and we'll put them head to head: Jamarcus Russell versus Ryan. Oh, those are going to be some good numbers. Uh, Quint says, as much as it pains me, LeBron was great last night. He's dragging the Cavs to playoff success, kicking and screaming all the way. He, oh, his own team provides more resistance than the opposing team. <laughs> all right. Are you ready? Yeah. Ryan Leaf, career stats, uh, 48.4 completion percentage. Nice. 3,656 yards, mm-hmm. 14 touchdowns. Mm. 36 Ooh. interceptions. Ooh. How many seasons? Uh, three. Uh. <laughs> and here's – okay, Russell, three. Okay. Uh, he has a 52.1 completion so percentage. Better. Edge to Jamarcus. Edge to Jamarcus. Uh, 4,083 yards. Edge close. to Jamarcus. 18 touchdowns. Oh. 23 interceptions. Wow. See? He does have better Statistically, numbers. Statistically, yeah. Statistically, Leaf is the bigger bust, yes. Mm. Anyway, if you have some more nominations, we'll be glad to read off their career stats. 888-993-7762. The Morning Drive is back after this on Top 10 Thursday. We diving into the Top 10. Your mock draft coming up next. Oh, I'd love to. Your uh, 5.0 mock draft, my very first one. My 5.0. My very first one ever. Okay. <laughs> That's coming up after the break. This is getting scary now. I was just saying, should we tell Tabor to get some NFL music and right on cue? Tabor's got it up and ready to roll. All right, NFL draft. Uh, a couple notes before we get this thing underway as we try to do this crazy exercise of predicting the top ten. Uh, the Saints are going to leave an open seat in the draft room yeah. in respect to very Tom cool. Benson. Very, very cool. All right, you ready to go? 
Yes, sir. Uh, full disclosure, Jake did a lot of research. I did. He spent at least uh, 43 minutes on this last night. Yeah, or perhaps probably. more. Probably. That's probably all right. I watched the uh, Baker Mayfield uh, thing on him getting ready for the draft. <laughs> <laughs> all the research you needed. All right. Uh, so we're going to have a schmoes going up against, since Kuiper and McShay are very secretive about their top ten, or at least you have to chunk over some change to watch or to look at their top ten list. Uh, we're going to do it against to uh, who? Mike Mayotte? That NFL? sounds good. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I have a feeling we'll probably all be on the same page here. Cleveland. Oh. Number one, Sam Darnold. Yeah. Mayock has Sam Darnold going number one to Cleveland. But there's it's, been a lot of talk, though, that perhaps uh-huh. that is not the case. There's been a lot of talk that they like Baker Mayfield and that Baker Mayfield could be the selection. Smoke Street? I would st- yeah, I would still be surprised if that was the case. Because if you were going to take Baker number one overall, you would definitely be looking to move back. Because somebody's going to want to take Darnold number one. Anyway, uh, I think Darnold, you know, has a great arm, has a lot of tools, but he turned the ball over way too much you know, last year. I mean, that was that was the, you know, we after the Rose Bowl, remember that fantastic Rose Bowl against Penn State? We expected him to really blow up last year, and he didn't. I mean, there were there were, he had his moments. I, I look back at the Stanford game; he made some incredible throws in that game. But then he would just turn the football over so frequently. And, I, and he did it so much that, you remember when we had our, our little bowl challenge? I took Ohio State high in the confidence points because I was confident that defense would make him turn the football over. And what happened? That was the case. So he's got to correct that. And because, you know, he, he was so turnover heavy last year, I can see why the Browns are struggling with this pick. So then if he ends up there, uh, do they give him time to develop or at least sit on the bench for yeah. a portion of the first year with Tyrod Taylor Absolutely. now there in a Browns uniform? Absolutely. And, I, look, I would – it's kind of crazy that Josh Allen, who everybody thought that's who they were going to go with, mm-hmm. you know, like a week ago, how he – it's kind of turned into a conversation of Mayfield or or Darnold instead of Allen being in that mix. So that's interesting. And who knows? Maybe they throw us a curveball and select Allen number one overall. It is the Browns we're talking mm-hmm. about. So you feel pretty good, though, you're going to start this thing think, at one and one yeah. and get off to a nice start. I think Darnold. Because if good. not, then you know it turns south quickly. Well, absolutely. But I think Darnold is number one overall. So the two schmoes also like Sam Darnold, and then, of course, the NFL draft expert also taking Darnold at number one with Cleveland. With you the, go ahead and give your number two because I got a curveball here. All right. At number two, of course, the Giants have the pick. Uh, you would certainly think they need a quarterback, somebody to replace Eli Manning. That's not listen. That's not necessarily the case. They but like. if you're taking, or if you want the best overall player, the impact player in this draft, and I understand he's a running back. You know my love, uh, how much I love Barkley. You called him the most exciting player since who? Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders. Yeah. yeah. The numbers are off the charts. You need to sell some tickets in New York, correct? You do. But. It's a no-brainer. It's the second overall pick. It's a no-brainer. From Penn State. Saquon Barkley. Okay. So, I didn't want our drafts to look the same. Wow, you knew that I was going to take. I would say Barkley's going to the draft. You have a man crush on Barkley. I knew this for sure. That is true. So, you know what I did? Did you see what he did to Iowa? (laughs) Your your beloved (laughs) Iowa team? You know what I did, Aaron? I put a trade in here. The Jets trade up one spot. And like you're going to nail this. The Jets trade up one spot. Who would have guessed the Bears would have traded up one spot for Mitchell Trubisky last year? So, it, I'll say history repeats itself. Jets trade up one spot, and they get Baker Mayfield. Hmm. We all know the Jets love Baker, yeah. right? Also, the Giants... You know, you, you don't really know where the Giants are going. I've heard love for Bradley Chubb. I've heard love for Saquon Barkley. I've heard that, well, maybe we need to get Eli Manning's, you know, successor. You've heard all three of those different scenarios, and if Darnold goes number one overall, we know that how much the Jets love Baker Mayfield. Do you want to risk the Giants taking Mayfield there? Mm. So that's why I say they trade up one spot. They get their guy. They get Baker Mayfield, and the Giants go back to number three. Mm. I like it. Okay. 
Because at number three. Uh, well, hold on. Who did uh, Mayock? Oh, at number three, he's got Baker Mayfield going to the Jets. Well, who did he have number two? Uh, uh, Barkley. Okay, he had Barkley too. Yeah. All right, so at three, the Giants. I have the Giants trading with the Jets. So at three, I have Bradley Chubb going to the Giants. Mm. So this is my reason why. The Giants need him because they no longer have Jason Pierre-Paul. And the GM, Dave Gettleman, believes strongly in fortifying the defensive front seven. How better to do that than to take the best pass rusher in this draft? Pass rushers are like quarterbacks. You'll hear that a lot tonight. Pass rushers are like quarterbacks. You can never have enough of them. Mm-hmm. You, you need to make sure you have great pass rushers. And Chubb is literally, uh, what, heads and shoulders heads above and every other shoulders. pass rusher in this draft. Yes. It's kind of a weak class for you. Yeah, it is. So that's why I think they go Chubb. Uh, whether it's number two or three, I'll still say they take Chubb. Mm. All right, number four, Cleveland Browns, second pick. Who you got? Uh, I'm going to say Chubb there. And uh, if some and Tom has, has weighed in, he believes Cleveland will go with a defensive player, perhaps Chubb at number one, and then just roll the dice at number four, and one of the quarterbacks, of course, will fall in their lap. Interesting. Makes, it, makes a little sense. It does make sense, but that is very interesting. Um, I don't see that happening, though. For four, for me, I say... Well, you look at Cleveland, if they're able to get Chubb, and then you could pair him with Miles Garrett. Oh, absolutely. And what that could do with two young studs Absolutely, up front. there's no doubt. But I think... I just think they're going quarterback there. I think they're going quarterback one, and I, don't, and I think the Giants will take Chubb, so therefore they will take Barkley at four. All right, we've gone through the first four, and of course uh, Cleveland... Uh, has all the cards at this point. How bad could the Browns butcher this? <laughs> these two picks? Could they? Josh sc- Allen could won. they screw this up? What would be the ultimate scenario for them to mess this? I up? don't. So I'll say this. I think. I think Chubb and Barkley are not going to be bust. Like I think they're going to be stars, and I think they're going to have their opportunity. Whether who they get one doesn't matter. They're going to have their opportunity to take one of those players at four. I really feel that way. So I don't think they can mess it up too. So bad. they're batting fifty percent no matter. They're what. gonna they're gonna be hitting five hundred regardless mm-hmm. in my book. If they go Josh Allen number one, I would be shocked, and I would that would be a head scratcher that only Cleveland would do. But uh, then again, you know, how many people thought Richardson and and uh, Oklahoma State quarterback him? And I, you mentioned that, and then of course if they do, and you keep hearing them talk about maybe Baker Mayfield going number one. That's the place that just doesn't feel like a good fit for him. You could feel that thing turning south quickly for Baker and that ego and, of course, the things that he does. Yeah. All right, at number five, let's go uh, on the clock would be Denver. A lot of people believe there will be a trade at this spot, and perhaps a Buffalo will trade up. That's what I have. I have Buffalo trading up to get Josh Allen. Uh, you know, they, they, want, they need a quarterback, and, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that they were – make this move because it's a must. And the question is, who do they trade up and get? Do you go with Josh Rosen or do you go with Josh Allen? And I just think, you know, the Broncos are willing to make this trade, first of all, because they have Case Keenum. They can afford to move back in the draft. But if you're the Bills, who do you choose out of those two guys? Me personally, I would rather go with Josh Rosen, but I feel like I just don't think there's any way Josh Allen slips out of the top five with all the the love that he's generated with his workout statistics and his measurements. I just think somebody there's no way he leaves the top five. So I'll say the Bills trade up to get Josh Allen at number five. Uh, draft expert Mike Mayock says, uh, with the fifth overall pick, Denver selects offensive guard out of Notre Dame, Quentin Nelson. Hmm. I see them moving out of there. but What says you on the top five picks you can weigh in? Who'd you say? Uh, I went with uh, the uh, – I can go with Josh Allen also. For the Bills? Yes. So you got to trade to. I just figure we go with the list of the the players, and if it doesn't fall out right, I mean, the teams really doesn't matter, right? Because, I mean, you can make all these predictions. Denver's not taking Josh Allen. I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening. 888-993-7762. This great exercise that we're going through on this Top 10 Thursday. Top 10. Ten picks in tonight's NFL draft. Yeah, I'm will enjoying Jake, it. Na- will Jake nail it? What if I got every pick right? I would just stop. You coming should retire. To the show. Yes, yeah, retire. I would never come back. We would see you on the NFL Network. That's right. <laughs> the morning drive and the top ten continues after this on Sports Talk 97.
Uh, Jake, before we continue this uh, crazy process of trying to predict the top ten, you want to go through a number of these texts to play catch-up? Yes, we've got a lot of them. Richie says, asking who's the biggest bust. He says, for the ungodly amount of money he made, Russell Overleaf. And Jason says, get a running back and a defender. Cleveland needs to stay away from quarterbacks. How many quarterbacks have they picked in the first round and screwed up? Uh Since 99, they picked three quarterbacks. Tim Couch, Brady Quinn, Brandon Whedon. Whedon was the one I forgot. Whedon and uh, Richardson was the combo that did not work out for them. I pulled up their starting quarterbacks throughout the years. What year do you want me to start at? Start with 99 because that's always – I can't start at 99. What, you want to do the whole segment? Yeah, no, seriously, because that's the jersey that starts with couch and then it keeps getting marked out. Uh, This should be entertaining radio. Listen to the number of quarterbacks that have started at Cleveland since 1999. Tim Couch, Ty Detmer, Doug Peterson in 2000, Tim Couch – Spurgeon Wynn. You know where Spurgeon Wynn played football at? College football? Where's that? Uh, the mighty Harvard of the South. Southwest Texas State. There you go. Uh, Tim Couch in 2001 made 16 starts. How about that? Big year. 2002 had 14 starts. Kelly Holcomb comes in for two <laughs> starts. So then in 2003, Holcomb is the man. He makes eight Holcomb. starts. Couch makes the other eight. 2004, they're going with Jeff Garcia. Oh, yeah. He makes 10 starts. Holcomb gets in there for two. And our man, Luke McCowan, gets four starts in 2004. 2005, Trent Dilfer with 11 starts. Charlie Fry. Who can forget Charlie Fry? Who could ever forget Charlie Fry? Fry comes back from his uh, not-so-great in 2005. In 2006, he makes 13 starts. Mm-hmm. So then the future is going to be Derek Anderson. Anderson makes three starts in 2006. I will say- he was he came on hot. Yeah. He had a stretch. Maybe it was those three games where it was like, okay, maybe they found their quarterback, and then not so much. This is probably when they were the most stable ever at quarterback with uh, Derek Anderson. The, the three starts in 2006. He comes back in 2007 and makes 15 starts. Charlie Fry gets the other one. 2008, Anderson with nine. And then uh, the Brady Quinn experiment. Gets three starts. Ken Dorsey also with three. Bruce uh, Gradkowski with one. 2009, Quinn with nine starts. Derek Anderson still hanging around. He gets seven starts. So then they go from uh, Brady Quinn, time for Colt McCoy. <laughs> Coy in 2010, uh, Colt gets uh, eight starts. Jake DeLome on the roster with hey. six starts. Seneca Wallace with six starts. 2011, you got Wallace and McCoy. Colt gets 13 starts. Seneca with three. All right, 2012, Brennan Whedon with 15 starts. Thad Lewis. Mm-hmm. You know Thad Lewis? Yeah, big guy. Right. One start. Jason Campbell in 2013 with eight starts. Brandon Whedon with five. Brian Hoyer with three. 2014, Hoyer's the man, gets 13 starts. They've got a young, up-and-coming quarterback by the name of Johnny Manziel. He gets two starts. Connor Shaw gets a start in the game. 2015, Jake McCowan, or Josh McCowan, gets uh, eight starts. Manziel gets six, and Austin Davis, two. 2016, RG3 makes a couple starts. Josh McCowan, again, with a couple starts. Cody Keesler, and then last year, Deshaun Kaiser and Kevin Hogan. What a mess. Yeah, yeah. Deshaun Kaiser didn't work out either. That was another quarterback they took. I need a breather. Yeah, pretty rough, man. Uh, Jonathan says, the way the Browns screw it up is by picking – Two offensive linemen at one and four. Mm. Got to have somebody protect uh, Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, yeah, you do. All right, let's get back to our mock draft. Number six, the Indianapolis Colts. I think this is the surest bet of the draft, if he's on the board. Quentin Nelson. I just think, you know, they need to protect their investment in luck if he even plays. Uh, But they they need some help on that offensive line, so – Assuming that Denver trades out and doesn't take Quentin Nelson in that spot, they get Quentin Nelson, the Colts do. Uh, Mike Mayock with the sixth overall pick for the Buffalo Bills. They acquire in a trade with the Colts. He says Josh Allen. A lot of people think that would be a great fit for uh, Allen to be in Buffalo. Uh, This is scary. I agree with you. I also go with Nelson from Notre Dame to Indy. All right. Number seven, Tampa Bay Bucks. I'm going Derwin James. You too? That's fine. I'm going Derwin James because there's some talk out there 
about Mika Fitzpatrick, but I mean, I like it, especially when you hear the way Nick Saban talks about Mika, and we've seen him throughout his career at Alabama, but I just think James is the better fit. I think he can virtually do it all at the safety position, and I know this is silly, but you do have to weigh this in. His workout betters are better. His workout numbers are better than Minka Fitzpatrick. And I, I think that matters to NFL teams. And so for that reason, I'm going James in this spot. Mayock also has James at number seven. He points out that Tampa Bay was 32nd in yards on defense, pass defense, and third down defense and sacks. He says this kid's special on the back end and will be a big-time contributor. Plus, it would probably be a pretty splashy pick for Tampa Absolutely. Bay fans. Absolutely. All right, number eight. Chicago Bears on the clock, and I go Denzel Ward. Mm. Here you go. A lot of people love Denzel Ward, of course, coming out of Ohio State. Most say that he is a solid, if not a locked, top ten pick. But when they grade out him compared to a former Ohio State player, Marshawn Lattimore from the Saints, Lattimore actually graded out better last year than Denzel Ward does this season. Yeah, so it could be an offensive lineman here, especially if somehow Quentin Nelson falls this far. I don't see him falling that far. But I still would be surprised if Chicago went with an offensive player since they signed three receivers, a tight end, and an offensive lineman in free agency. I mean, they really did pay for their offense in free agency. So for that reason, I think they have to go – with defense, and they get the top corner. Draft expert Mayock says with the eighth overall pick, Chicago takes Roquan, Roquan Smith out of Georgia. Linebacker. He's good. And that's my number nine pick with the 49ers. Uh, I got it eight uh, for Chicago. Fitzpatrick, of course, coming out of mm. Bama. Sorry. I thought you already – I thought you agree with me. with Lord. Okay. All right, number Step nine. Step over my draft pick. And number nine, I've got Roquan Smith with the Niners because of the whole Reuben Foster situation. I think because of that – that the 49ers can't pass up on the talent of Roquan Smith. Mm. And, you know, many people feel it would be defense. It could be Fitzpatrick. It could be Ward. could be Smith. But, again, because Foster was charged with a felony for domestic violence, I just have the 49ers not passing up on Roquan Smith. And I think Roquan Smith will be the best player to come out of this draft. Oh. I, I, you know – I've, I've raved about this guy at Georgia. He, you watch him run sideline to sideline. He's an incredible athlete. I think he's going to have a long career in the NFL, and he's going to be an all-pro linebacker for many, many years. At number nine, Mayock has uh, the 49ers picking Ward. His write-up is most people's number one quarter, 188 pounds, ran a 4-3-2, says he has oily hips. <laughs> Uh, for the, for the 49ers, they say they're getting the number one corner in this draft. I agree with you. Uh, I at number nine, I got the 49ers getting Roquan, Roquan Smith. But I'm hoping that he falls to number 10 because I'd love to see him teamed up with Gruden at Oakland. And that's who Gruden wants. But because he doesn't on this mock draft of mine, I think Gruden trades out of that 10 spot. And I think he trades with Arizona, who needs a quarterback. This who's... is scary. We got too many picks to say. If you say this is where uh, Josh Rosen goes, did you really have this? Wow. Okay. All right. Well, great minds think alike, Aaron. I don't know. Well, my whole thought process was Arizona needs a quarterback. Miami is the next pick at eleven, and though we don't think that they would take a quarterback with Ryan Tannehill, he still Tannehill has not been healthy. So you got to think there. If Josh Rosen falls to eleven, there's going to be some temptation to take Josh Rosen there. And for that, I think Arizona trades up mm. above him, above mm. uh, above Miami, and they select him there, mm. which would be a steal. I mean, if you get Josh Rosen at number ten, you know you can have the questions about the intangibles and his attitude and all that stuff. But when you look at the way he plays football, his natural talent on the field. He's a top 10 pick without question. So if you get him at number 10, it's a steal. Mm. At number 10, uh, NFL guru uh, Mayock has from Notre Dame offensive tackle Mike McGlinchey. Mm. Says, I think the guy that checks all the boxes is this one. I've known this kid since he was 15 years old. He's got the same IQ and passion for football that Matt Ryan does. 
He believes that uh, the Notre Dame offensive tackle will start from day one for where the Oakland Raiders. Well, I enjoyed that, Aaron. I hate that we had some of the same picks. We did not consult with one another before we unveiled them, but hey, great minds think alike. What did we get right? What did we get wrong? I guess we'll find out later tonight. You can continue to weigh in. Top 10, who do you want to see go? Where do you think they will go? At 888-993-7762, the Stuart Shelby text slash hotline. Go to stuartshelby.com for a free quote. Bold predictions here, and, of course, uh, in the 8 o'clock hour, we'll get to needs and, of course, where the Saints and the Cowboys will draft. Uh, Cowboys coming in at number 19 and the Saints at number 27. A lot of people still believe, of course, the Saints with those eight overall draft picks will package some of those together to move up in the draft. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, if you look at the Saints, you know, if you thought the mock draft, the top ten was difficult, try predicting where the Saints are going to go at 27 because they could go several different ways, and we'll get into that. We'll look at some players who they might be eyeing as well as continue to bring up the conversation of who are the biggest busts in NFL draft history. You can weigh in, plus uh, we've got some uh, local kids, and especially the guys from LSU, Darius Geis, making a little bit of news. And, of yeah, course, we'll uh, the NFL has done a little bit of investigation with uh, what he said took place at the NFL Combine. Yeah, it, what happened was, you remember a couple weeks back, we, we talked about how he went on some radio show and said that he was interviewed by an NFL team. He didn't say who, but he was asked questions like, basically, was his mom a prostitute and uh, was did he like men? And so the NFL, which I didn't even know, was did an investigation about this for weeks, and they've come out today and said that they found they found they didn't find any evidence that he was inquired about those things. And so again, here's Darius guys kind of being painted in a bad light right before the draft, and I want to get into that because I think he's had some unfair criticisms ahead of this draft, which is. You know, we've never questioned his character at LSU. It's kind of crazy that people are questioning his character ahead of this draft. That plus, uh, we'll look into the crystal ball. Who will be the one player that, of course, is sitting in that green room and uh, is uncomfortable for a majority of the night? 888-993-7762. Coming up next, we turn our attention to college baseball. Look forward to a big weekend. In fact, it gets started tonight with LSU versus Ole Miss. The voice of the LSU Tigers, Chris Blair, will join us after the break. Thanks for listening to the best of the morning drive with Dietrich and White. To listen live every day, tune in at ESPN977.com or subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts.